Once again, it's a pleasure to see everyone back. Uh, since I gave you two lessons this morning, I didn't know for sure if you'd be back tonight uh, uh, at all, but it uh, seemed like you have a good crowd, and I really, uh, really appreciate it. Uh, I do apologize for keeping you so long this morning. I don't apologize for what I said, but maybe just how long it took me to say it. <laughs> um, but uh, that is a lesson that's developing, and I think a lesson that needs to be preached that, that I'm very passionate about, and I hope that you found some some benefit uh, to it uh, yourself. Uh, tonight, I'd like to talk about a verse. I have two verses in the Bible, if you can have favorite verses. Uh, two verses that uh, kind of are my favorite that I think about. And the one that we're going to talk about tonight um, is, is one of my favorite verses, but I think for a long time, I didn't fully understand its meaning. I don't know if I fully grasp it now, but I think I'm getting closer. And that was what was just read a few moments ago, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, which says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think according to the power that's in us. And, and I've thought about that verse, and I've always thought that, you know, I, I've looked at it in terms of, you know, God is going to do things for us as long as we keep his power close to us. And his power, as Paul said, is the word of God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation, as Paul says. Um, so when we think about that verse, I want us to think about what is God able to do for us. And I think many times we limit what he's able to do because we don't fully understand what he's able to do. And as we think about this verse, we could take this verse and we could go to a lot of commentaries and we can get some meanings and some definitions and, and some things in the original Greek and, and all of this with, with this verse. But, but I'm a firm believer in letting the Bible be its own commentary. And I think when we think about this verse, we can actually see it played out in, in the lives of many individuals. And I want to start uh, this, uh, this evening with Abraham. If you look with me in, Ab in Genesis chapter 22... Let's look about Abraham here, and I think we can see uh, in this instance, this verse in action, and maybe it'll explain uh, kind of what I'm, I'm thinking about this verse. In uh, Genesis chapter 22, we see here, uh, starting about verse 6, it's a story we're all familiar with, but I want us to think about a few things with it. In Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 6, it says, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offerings and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which uh, God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and he laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So let's think about this exactly and see how I've often thought about Abraham's faith. And I've often thought about how did he have enough faith to be able to offer up his only begotten son, his son that which God had promised him, you're going to have this son, and through, uh, through his descendants, which ultimately talking about Jesus, all the nations are going to be blessed. So how, how would you reason that in your mind? 
How would you think about that? God had said, you sacrifice this son. And God had told him on this hand, through this son, all of this is going to happen. But now he says to sacrifice him, reasonable minds would think that doesn't make any sense. That, that, that almost seems like it contradicts each other. God says to do, that he's going to do this for me. He's promised this, but now he tells me to kill him. And if I kill him, how can all of this happen? Well, look with me in Hebrews chapter 11. And I think this will explain it just a little bit. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, beginning at verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was uh, tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also had received him in a figurative sense. So here's how Abraham rationalized this in his mind. Abraham is saying, Okay, God had promised me this son. God had promised me what's going to happen through this son. Now God has commanded me to sacrifice him. So what Abraham concluded was, God can raise him from the dead. I'll kill him, and then God will raise him from the dead. So I'll be fulfilling what God says for me to do, and God will fulfill what he says I will do through Isaac by raising him from the dead. That was Abraham's conclusion, and that's why he was able to do that. But is that how it took place? That's not how it took place at all. God, God didn't raise him from the dead. That's what Abraham knew he was able to do, but that's not how God did it. God stopped him before he sacrificed him. You say, well, what's the point? Well, the point is this. Many times we find ourselves in situations we don't know what God's going to do. We, we find ourselves maybe faced with a financial crisis. We find ourselves faced with illness, family members that have illness. We, we find ourselves faced whatever tragedy, whatever event comes in our life. We find ourselves faced with it, and we don't know how to handle it. We, we don't know for sure what we're supposed to do. So in our minds, we try to come up with some conclusion of what we believe God is going to do. But see, that doesn't mean he's going to do it that way. Here's what I believe Ephesians 3.20 tells us. God is able to do, and this is what it says, exceedingly abundantly, more than we could ask or think, according to the power that's in us. All we have to know is what God is able to do. We don't have to know what he's going to do. And there's the difference in the kind of faith that God wants us to have. I don't have to know, and I'll never know, every detail of what God is going to do in every particular situation. I can't possibly know that. So what happens is, if God doesn't do it exactly the way that I think he should, then many times I don't think God does anything at all. I, I think that God, I, have you ever, and here's a tricky one, here's one that really, that I've, I've been faced with several, several times, and, and I'm, I'm sure maybe you have too, and, and I didn't really know, I didn't do it right many times, and then I found myself not knowing exactly what to do. You ever seen somebody just on their deathbed, so to speak? You know, I want you to pray for me, or, you know, pray for my family. What do you pray for? Do you pray for them to get better? Is that the right thing to pray for? You say, well, of course it's the right thing to pray for. I pray for God to do what's right. Sometimes we don't know what's right. Sometimes we don't know what the best thing to do there is. 
that we just have to leave it. We, we got to know what God's able to do. Is God able to heal and make them better? Absolutely God's able to do that. That's what we have to trust in, what God's able to do, not necessarily what he's going to do. Because what he's going to do is what's going to be best, and it may not at that particular time look like the best thing to us. That takes me to another favorite verse of mine is Romans 8 and 28. All things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. doesn't say that everything in our life is going to be good, but it will work out for our good. When Abraham was told to sacrifice his son, I can't imagine what he was thinking the, the whole time that they were going up to that mountain. I can't imagine what even Isaac was thinking when he... In a, it shows that he's a pretty intelligent boy. He's looking around. He sees the wood. He sees everything they need but except for the sacrifice. Where is it at? He's looking around and trying to find out where that's at. So he's trying to figure this out. I think that's a good lesson in, in obedience and Abraham being the father he should be. He didn't say that he chased Isaac all over that mountain trying to get him down and do what he said for him to do. He did exactly what God said. But in his mind, how he got through it and the faith that he had was that he knew God was able to raise him up from the dead because God made a promise. He knew God was going to be true on his promise. And he knew God was able to bring him from the dead. But he didn't know if that's exactly what he was going to do because God didn't do it that way. And it's hard for us to grasp that. Many times we give up on God. Many times we blame God for things that happen in our lives. Many times we, we get so beat down with life and we're, we're asking ourselves, God, where are you? When he's there the whole time, he just may not be doing things the way we thought he should do it. You know, the Bible says his ways are not our ways. His thinking is not our thinking. There's no way I can understand everything that's going on. All I can see is my own little world. All I can see is what's right in front of me. I can't see everything else that is going on. So if I can't see anything, everything else that's going on, how can I know exactly how God is working in my life? I just need to know that he is and what he's able to do. Job didn't possibly, couldn't possibly know everything that was going on between God and Satan based on the things that was happening in his life. All he knew was he's losing everything. Losing everything. Didn't know why. Didn't understand why. You know, didn't understand why all of this was happening. But was it happening for Job's good? Well, absolutely it was. Was, was Job able to see what God was able to do? Yes, he didn't understand it. But God was working there all the time. If you go and even look where, where Job was saying, I looked, I looked in front and you weren't there. I looked behind and you weren't there. He says, I couldn't perceive you. I couldn't perceive you. I think it's uh, Job 10 and about verse 23, I believe. He says, I couldn't perceive you. Can you imagine that? Going through all the troubles that Job was going through and he'll make a statement, I couldn't perceive you. He didn't know where God was in all of that. We don't see God in tragedies sometimes. We don't see how God is helping us, how God is working through us, what God is doing even in those, those darkest times. And I think it's because we expect God to do something different than what he's doing because we think we know what's best for us. We think we know what should happen when we don't know the whole picture of things. And if we don't know the whole picture of things, there's no way we can possibly know what is best for us. What's uh, On your sign out there, what is it, Jeremiah 10, 23? Uh, uh, I forgot the verse now. There's a way that seemeth right unto men, the end therefore weighs death or... It's not in man to direct his own path. That's the one. I like both of them. 
And it's not in man to direct his own path. Because we don't know for sure what we're supposed to do. But what we have to know as we look at Ephesians 3.20 is what God is able to do. And if we go through life knowing what God is able to do, is there anything we can't go through? Is there anything we couldn't face? No matter what the trouble is, no matter what the tragedy is, no matter what the difficulties and obstacles that come our way, if we know what God is able to do and just trust Him to do it, it really doesn't matter what He does, does it? That's the key. I, th I think that's truly the key to the faith that God is looking for. That's why He told Abraham, Now I know. Now I know. Because Abraham had to go to something in his mind and say, What's the greatest thing God could do here? The greatest thing that God could do is raise him from the dead. So if I know God can do that, it really doesn't matter, does it? Anything else in between that? That's how we have to look at it. That's how we have to face it. It's to look and see, knowing what God is able to do. Let me give you another example of this. Look in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Notice what Caleb says here beginning at verse 30. In Numbers chapter 13, he says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said... Now, why did he have to quiet the people? You, you know the background, but I'll give you just a quick quick background here. They sent out the 12 spies, which was from the 12 tribes, sent out the 12 spies, which was, was a great military move. Moses and Aaron sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan. They come back, and their report is, it's just like God said it was, Flows with milk and honey. Oh, there's, there's just wonderful things there. But the Amalekites there, the Hittites, the Anites, the uh, uh, descendants of, of, of uh, Anites there, they, I mean, they're just giants there. We're like mere grasshoppers in their sight. And what's funny about that is they say it's just like God said it is, but it has these individuals there. Well, those individuals are just like God said too. If you go back and read, starting from Genesis 12 and actually in Genesis 15, when God is, is, is telling Abraham, this is what's going to happen, and you're going to inherit this land, the land of the Hittites, the uh, Perizzites, the Amalekites. These people that they're saying there that they couldn't overcome are the very people God said was going to be there. So I, I'm not real sure why they're shocked about it. But they come back and they say, basically, we can't take the land. So the people are just in an uproar. Why did you bring us out here to die? About the same thing they said when they were at the Red Sea. You know, why did you bring us out here to die? We're caught between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. You know, all they're moaning and complaining. So they get to the land there and they're saying, we can't do it. So Caleb quietens the people and he says this. And Caleb quieted the people uh, before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are able to overcome it. Now notice, he didn't say God. He said we are able to overcome it. Why was he saying that we're able to overcome it? They just told them that they're outnumbered, they're, they're more fortified, they're, they're giants in the land, uh, all of this, and now Caleb is saying we're able to do it. Look over in um, verse 6 of chapter 14. Notice what Joshua said. But Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. If the Lord delights in us. They're not trusting in themselves. 
They're trusting in God. If the Lord delights in us, here's what we're able to do because he says we're able to do it. If God is for us, what's he saying, who can be against us? I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 says. So their line of thinking is God is the one who promised us this land. God is the one who said we can take this land. So if God delights in us, if we listen to him, we will take this land. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter how big they are. It doesn't matter how fortified they are. What matters is what God says. And what God is able to do is a lot more than what they're able to do. What we're able to do through God is more than that. See, God doesn't want us to look at uh, our problems that are out there if all we know is what God is able to do for us, according to the power that's in us, it really doesn't matter what comes our way. See, this is what makes the Christian different than everybody else in the world. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, at the end of that chapter, when it talks about the storms of life coming, the rains come down, the floods come up, the winds blew on the house, and one house stood and one house fell. What was the difference? The difference was the foundation. There was no difference whatsoever in the storm that came. So if there's no difference in the storm that came, something has to be different. The house was the same. The foundation is what was different. So it's the same thing here. Our circumstances in our life are going to be just like everybody else's in many cases, but the outcome is going to be different based on this. Based on our faith. And our faith is what God is able to do. You know, I, I used to hear, I, I can remember my wife and I one time, it's been several years ago, we were at a restaurant and the waitress come up, she was wait, waiting on us and things, and the waitress just out of the blue just started talking about how God worked in her life and how good God was and how God uh, helped her overcome things in her life. And she just, I mean, pretty talkative for a waitress, I thought. You know, I mean, telling us a lot of things. And when she walked off, you know what I said to my wife? And this is what I said many years ago. I said, she's denomination. There's no way she would talk about God that freely and, and be a member of the church. She's, she's got to be denomination. Well, you, you just don't talk about how God works in your life that way, that openly and that free to other people. And I think about that now, I thought, no, I'm awful ashamed of myself for thinking that. Why don't I talk to other people like that? Well, why am I so afraid to tell other people what God has done for me in my life? And why am I so afraid to, to speak to people about, you know, sometimes you do, uh, well, you hear the phrase, you know, you just got to give it over to God. Well, that's what we, we did when we become a Christian, didn't it? That should be what we've done. We, we give it over to God. God, I know you've got a plan. I'll work just as hard as I can within that plan. I'll do everything I possibly can, and I know that you'll take care of what I can, no matter how it comes out. That, see, that's the difference. You know, that's, that's the key. When, when you see this, when you see what the children of Israel here were faced against, and only two of them, only two out of all of them, and this is what gets me. Every time they complain, they forget about all the judgments that God brought on, on Egypt. When they got to the Red Sea, and as they passed the Red Sea, they forgot about getting on dry land. They forget about all the manna that God gave them. They forget about all, all, all these things that they've seen God took care of them. You know, it's not just a blind leap of faith. They have evidence. They've seen what God has done in their life, but yet over and over again, they doubt God's ability. They doubt Him. And what did that do? That hindered them from going into the promised land that God promised. 
And every time I think about that story, I think about, you know, God's promised us a promised land. You know, Jesus said, John chapter 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again receiving to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He said, there's a place prepared, that promised land. But if I don't trust God enough here, I'll never see that. Because I, I, don't, I may think that I can't make it. I may think that I can't do it because I, I, I face these things in my life and I say, God, here's what you need to do. If you'll just do it this way, this way, this way, and this way, well, I'll really get through this. And then when he doesn't do it this way, this way, and this way, I'm, I'm thinking, well, where are you, God? Why, I, I thought I was living for you. Why, why didn't you help me in this situation? See, I forgot what God's able to do. I've been focusing on the circumstance instead of what God's able to do. I don't have to, and that's it. I don't have to know what he's going to do. Just know that he can. As long as I know that, he's can, that he can, as long as I know that he's able, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, I'll face it. doesn't matter. That's, that's the Christian attitude. That's the attitude that we have to have. Look in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17, another familiar story with us, but with the line of thinking of, of what God is able to do. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, remember you, you got the Philistine giant uh, uh, coming out and making the threat to, to uh, Saul's army, and he, he's making the threat, you know, just what the military uh, status of the day was. I've... Now our biggest baddest will come out here. You send your biggest baddest out to uh, 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 fight me. And if I win, you know, you'll serve us. If they win, we'll serve you. You know, you send your you big and bad, and we'll send our big and bad, and we'll have at it. Well, it says Saul's army was afraid. Actually, when it talks about fear, there's talking about that phobos fear, that, that fear of, 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 of that paralyzing fear. They're afraid to move. They're scared to death. So David comes up. Don't y'all hear him saying that? Out? Don't y'all hear him defiling the army of God? Who's going to do something about it? Nobody would do anything. They're, they're, they're scared. Now, it doesn't. Now, being afraid is one thing. Being afraid and not doing something is something totally different. Uh, that's what's happening here. They, they, they can't, they're so afraid they can't do anything. So David just says, hey, I'll go out and I'll take care of it. And here's what he says. Notice here in verse 33 of 1 Samuel 17. He says, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine, uh, uh, Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Then he goes on, and, and David just, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but here's what David says. I tended my father's sheep. I'm just a shepherd. But I do know this, when, when, when the bear would come and take the sheep, I'd go and take the sheep from the bear. When the lion would come and take the sheep, I'd go take the sheep from the lion. The same God, he says, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the bear, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion, is the same God that's going to deliver me from this Philistine giant. Same God. David. So what does David have here? David has evidence it's not blind faith. It's not just a leap of faith. He has evidence now of here's what happens. Uh, I was tending my father's sheep. God took care of me with a bear. God took care of me with a lion. I've seen what he is able to do, and God will take care of me here. That's actually what he told the giant. Uh, 
Look in verse 46. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. David going out against this giant, knowing what God is able to do. Now, did he know for beyond a shadow of a doubt God was going to deliver him from that? He had confidence in it. No doubt at all. Was that God's plan? I don't know. But David knew what God was able to do. And if he knew what God was able to do, does it really matter? I mean, if we're truly faithful to God, does it really matter what that outcome would be? <coughs> David knew he couldn't let that pass. He had to take a stand. We talked about this morning about making a stand. He knew he had to take a stand no matter what. And he didn't go just with his own ability, though I believe that's the first time he never, that I, I don't believe it's the first time he ever picked up a sling and a stone. I believe he's done that many times before. But he went with confidence. Was he afraid? The Bible doesn't say he was afraid. But his fear wasn't enough to stop him from doing it. There's many things that I face in my life that I'm actually afraid. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't still do what's right. No matter what the outcome, I know. We know what God is going to do. Now let's move a little further. Look in Daniel chapter 3. I always try to work these fellows in anywhere I can. They're my favorite, favorite examples because there's so much that you can learn from. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I won't go deep into the story, but uh, basically we know that uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar here made this fiery furnace. Basically said, if you don't bow down to me, you're going in the furnace. What did they do? Stood straight up. Didn't bow down. So they had some people. The Chaldeans went and told on them. He brings them into their, uh, his chambers, and he starts asking them a question. Um, he basically going to give them another chance. I'll give you another chance. If you'll bow down to God, then here's what I will do. Here's how they answered him. Look, starting in verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now I want you to really think closely about what they said. They said, we, we don't have any need to answer you this, but here goes. Our God's able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. And it says that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and his countenance changed. Countenance changed. Why? Why did his facial expression change? What could he do now? What could he possibly do that's going to make a difference now? He turned it up 70 times, or he turned it up seven times here, hotter, and it actually burnt the people that bound them and put them in. That's how hot it was. Did that do anything? I mean, think about it. They're willing to die. They Notice, they don't know what God's going to do. That's the key to their faith. They have no idea if God's going to deliver them because they, they, he tells them, even if he does it, we're not going to bow down. But they know he's able to. And if they know he's able to, they don't need to know anything else. They win either way. If God delivers them, they're faithful, they set a good example, everything turns out good. 
If God doesn't deliver them, they die faithful to him, they set a good example, everything's good. Either way, they win. But that's the thing. Could, would you have enough? I've actually heard a sermon one time called uh, uh, Furnace Faith. <laughs> would you have furnace faith? Would you have enough faith to, to let them throw you in a furnace? Or would we bow down? You know, we could always say, well, I'll repent later, or we come up with some excuse why we'll do it. But do we really have enough faith? Would we have enough faith to stand up to that giant? Would we have enough faith to go into that land even with a military background that we know that they had? Would we have enough faith to sacrifice our child if God says, would we have that kind of faith? The only way we will is to have the kind of faith that Ephesians 3.20 says, knowing that God is able to do for us exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think according to the power that's in us. Now, we can't just say, okay, I'm going to stand out in the middle of the road. I know God's able to knock me out of the way before this tractor trailer runs over me. No, it's according to the power that's in us, according to his word. I've got to stay true to his word and follow his word and do what he says to do, even in those darkest times, because that's really where it makes a difference. It's easy to be a Christian in here. It's easy to be a Christian in the pews. It's easy to be a Christian in the fellowship hall. It's easy to be Christian when we're around other Christians. But when we're out in the world, when it counts, when it matters, you know, I was talking to some right before services. We were talking about different issues that's happening in our society. And we were just talking and saying, you know, we, would, we won't make a stand or we won't do anything until it actually affects us. And I think it's true here. We don't really think about faith in this way until it actually is right down on us, then what do we do? What, what do you do? You find yourself praying, God, your will be done. Even when you're praying for someone that you love that you want them to get better. You need them to get better. But it may not be better for them. And it may not be God's plan. What do we do when he does, they don't get better? Or what do we do with the situation we're in doesn't change? That's when it becomes hard. That's when it becomes difficult. That's when we have to pray like Jesus said in Garden Gethsemane. We have to pray, thy will be done. You know, we talk about the temptation of Jesus and, and how he was tempted. I believe that was his greatest temptation. I don't believe it was in the wilderness when Satan tempted him. Was that, was that uh, temptation? Absolutely. That's how sin comes through those, uh, those three avenues, lust of flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life, just as he was tempted there, just as Eve was. But imagine the temptation that he had there in that garden. When he was praying. Imagine the temptation that he had all through that. And here was the temptation. He knew what he was going to have to face. He knew what he was going to have to do. And he had the power to stop. Remember what he told Peter? I can call legions of angels down here. When he was cut off Malchus's ear, I, I, I can call I can stop this. I, I, I can handle this a different way, but that wouldn't be the plan. Imagine. That kind of faith of, of facing that, and that's why he, his sweat was like drops of blood because he faced all of that every time he got punched, every time he got spit on, every bit of the scourging of the pulling of the flesh, everything that he went through, having the power to stop it and not doing it. So that's why Jesus prayed, if it's thy will. Because he actually answered Jesus' prayer in the affirmative. It was God's will, and Jesus followed God's will. See, because it was the plan. Even when, and and that's, that's where faith really shows. When it's hard like that, when you're faced with, with decisions and challenges like that, 
to do the right thing is difficult. We, we can't, uh, there's no way I can stand up here as a preacher and tell you, oh, it's going to be easy to do. Just like you used to, you know, you used to tell our kids, you know, just say no to drugs. That slogan is almost silly to me because who just, who does that? It, it, it's more complicated and it's a lot harder for, for, you know, growing up and doing that than just, just say no. Well, it's a consistent life that says no. So it's a lot harder than that. The Christian life is a lot harder than just saying you're a Christian. It's actually living it. We see that with Abraham. We see that, you know, with David. We see that with Joshua and Caleb. We, we see that as we move through, and that's what we have to realize. I've got to focus on what God is able to do. And if I know what he's able to do, I don't have to know what he's going to do. That's what's going to get you through your trials. That's what's going to get you through your troubles. So I hope when you think about this and you think about what God is able to do, I want you to think about some storm of life that you may be facing. All of us, all of us go through a storm of life. All of us face a mountain that we, we're thinking, I wish that mountain would just move. I wish it was gone. You know, the Bible talks about mountain moving faith, faith that literally can move a mountain. How does God do that? I mean, just really think about it. How does he move the mountain? I'm, I'm faced with a mountain in my life. I'm faced with, with, with an obstacle. I'm faced with a hardship. Well, if God gives me the strength to cross over that mountain, is the mountain an issue anymore? If God gives me the wisdom to go around that mountain, is the mountain an issue anymore? So he's moved the mountain, hasn't he? I may not know how he's going to do it. It may be by giving me strength. It may be by giving me wisdom. It may be both. It may be turning me around to an opposite way. Or, or what's best for me at that time is to get halfway up that mountain and fall and slide all the way back down. I don't know what the best thing is. I don't know what I need at that time. But God does. God knows what I need when I need it. And I just have to trust in him. The times that we, we may be closer to God then we actually realize maybe those toughest times in our lives that sometimes we think, like Job, I look around and I can't perceive you. But if you go on and read, Job says after that, you know my every move, basically is what Job says. You know, I think I'm here, you know, swimming and just floating and just about to go under God and you know nothing about it, but you do know where I'm at. You know what I'm doing. You know what I'm going through. And do you think God would actually leave his children just to nothing? I don't believe that's much faith if we think that. God's going to help us. Do I know how he's going to? Do I know how he's going to do it? I don't know how he's going to do it. But that's it. I don't have to know how. I just have to know what he's able to do. So do you have the power in you? Do you have the power to trust that God is able to do for you in your life all the things that he says that he will. You can do that by trusting him, by being obedient to him, doing what his word says. Notice, it said there in Hebrews, by faith Abraham did this. So by faith, by hearing God's word, we have faith in his word and we're obedient to that word, do what he says to obey him and become a child of his. The Bible says all spiritual blessings are in Christ. So if I'm in Christ, all those spiritual blessings I have access to. All the spiritual blessings that are here, I can just follow them and God said, I will get you through it. I don't know what that path is going to be like. 
I don't know all the difficult things I'm going to do. I don't know all the stumbling and falling that I'm going to do. I may be like Peter when he looks and says, Ronald, Satan's asked for you. And when he gets you, I pray, when you return to me, strengthen the brethren. He may know Satan's going to get me. Because if I'm working for God, Satan's going to try that much harder to get me. And it's going to be tough. But God is able to do for us. So if you're here this evening and you never obey the gospel, you have the opportunity to do it tonight. If you've done that, but straight away, we hope you come back tonight also as together we stand and sing.